So welcome to the podcast today. It's my pleasure to have with us Reverend Donnie Copeland. He is the pastor of Apostolic Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Also, former Arkansas State Rep. Thank you, Pastor, for joining us today. Oh, so good to be with you today, Stacey. So I, I, I saw that um, Demetrius had jo- you know brought you in to join us to talk about how Christians can respond to the current day border crisis. And this is tough because um, we have a mandate from God to... And it's it's biblical. It's in the Bible. He tells us to care for the foreigner who's in your land. But we also have a mandate to maintain a sovereign nation. And, you know, borders were created. Nations and borders were created by God. So there's nothing dishonorable in saying, you know, we have a border. And if you want to come into the country, you need to do so legally. So Christians find themselves at a crossroads where they're not sure if they should take a hardline immigration stance or, you know, do they what what do they say? What do they do? And it's a real rift within the church and, and the discussion surrounding Surrounding it have become really fraught and political only. So, as a pastor, what what are your instructions for your flock and for those of us who are uh, wanting to make sure that we're in a godly position on this issue? Yeah, great question, Stacy. And I thank you so much for addressing a. Uh, I, I think is what is a probably one of the most pivotal questions uh, in in modern day, uh, because really it it basically uh, hinges on are we going to have a nation in the in the future. And uh, without borders, you don't have a nation. God established that for Israel. First thing he told them when they went to Canaan, he said, you got to establish borders. And so without borders, as you said, we have no nation. Uh, we're in a unique pres- uh, position here. We're in, you know, southern Arkansas. But however, there's a lot of poultry here, especially up in the northwest. We're in central. We're in the capital city. Um, but we have a lot of Hispanics in this area. And uh, a unique thing about us, I'm I'm very conservative, but uh, we actually have two Spanish congregations that we've we've actually started three. One we spun off, two that are actually under our banner is Apostolic United, and uh, and so they and we presently operate those two uh, Spanish congregations. And what we teach our Spanish congregations is this: that you know we love you, we want you here but we want you here legally. And if you're here illegally, you need to get in line and need to get legal. And uh, it's the same thing that we teach uh, our English congregation that's driving without a driver's license or anything else that any of us might would be doing that is, that is you know, contrary to the law. And so I, I think a lot of times uh, Christians, especially entire denominations, get this guilt complex uh, and and as you've said, uh, being compassionate, loving toward people who are here even illegally, um, is and 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 showing kindness and yet standing for a border is not mutually exclusive. Uh, you can you can easily do both, and so um, I, I think it's very very important, and it is very detailed and it's very complicated when you've got we've got we've had people come here as minors, and now they're adults and they have children. And, uh, you know, you don't want to see them just uh, deported uh, and their families ripped apart. Uh, And so, but I do think they have to get in line. I do think they have to pay a fine. I think, you know, uh, felons should be export, should be deported. Um, And so we, we take a hard line on immigration uh, for a, you know, for a country to be here for the future 
and yet show compassion to you know those that we know. Hey, here's what I found, Stacy. Whether it's me dealing with prisoners or dealing with uh, immigrants, it's a lot easier to to take a super hard nose, you know, no nonsense approach uh, from a distance, uh, and and you know, like an orange jumpsuit uh, and a prisoner until that somebody I know or somebody's child or or it's my own child, uh, and same with immigration. But unfortunately, if we don't stand for our nation, stand for borders. We won't have a nation to fight for. So you, you've made a, a ton of great points there. And I want to kind of go back through and unpack because um, I, I actually, I agree with you 100%. And you're right. When, when you see the people who are in the country illegally as, um, you know, illegal aliens or migrants and you're able to wall yourself off because they're, you know, they don't have a large community in your area or you're not interacting with them. Um, it's easier to say, you know, every single one needs to be deported. And I have, I've held that stance before. Um, and I still feel like, you know, there's, there is, there has to be some rule of law. Otherwise the border doesn't mean anything. Our current immigration system doesn't mean anything. And people who are spending fifty, sixty thousand dollars waiting for ten years, you know, doing all of these hoops that they have to jump through, travel here, stay for six months, travel back to their home country, file a piece of paper from there, then come back in. Even people who marry a citizen, you know, you go over to Europe, you find someone, you know, that you go to college with, you love them, you marry them, and then they tr- try to come into the country lawfully as a spouse. They even have you know, thousands of dollars of of fees that they have to pay and they have to wait. And it's a very arduous process. So for someone to say, well, I live next to or adjacent to America and I want to go in and I need to get in there faster than that person from Great Britain or or Haiti or someplace where they can't just walk over and to just say, well, I'm going to go in illegally. And then later I expect some politician to make sure that I can stay. Um, That to me is is. It's a smack in the face to, to people who are doing it the right way. But when we're talking about human beings, often a hard rule doesn't exactly work. We have to have some some permeability in order to deal with the situation as it stands. But I think there's a, a certain frustration level as well for people who are really working hard to obey the law. And so you see one area of law where the rules just don't, they don't apply, and that's immigration. Right now in our country, especially since the the new administration has come in um, and taken the presidency and, you know, all three of the branches of government, they have a different idea of what should be happening at the southern border. So I, I hear your heart when you talk about working with prisoners, working with, you know, the two churches that you founded. And this is discipling these people into the kingdom so that their eternal lives are, are taken care of. And then you're encouraging them to come within the bounds of the law. So how do we, how do we communicate the stance that you're taking? So you, you definitely believe that America is a country, that we need a, a strong border, that we need to have people come in lawfully, but you also have a little bit of a softer approach when it comes to people who are already here. How do you communicate that when, when we're talking to people who are Maybe they've had some violence in their life or some crime that they've been a victim of where the, the perpetrator was a person who's here illegally. Um, things like that kind of harden people against the idea that we need to be, uh, you know, treat treat people like people and, and consider their circumstances. Yeah. And, and again, those individual circumstances become very nuanced. And um and I think I found this, whether I, especially when I was in the legislature, I found that just being very honest 
and not not doing you know not using political speech, uh, but being very honest and very direct. One is one thing that I I tell people is when you look at the word stranger in the Old Testament about being kind to the stranger, leaving the corner of the field for the for the people that uh, you know would would pass through and showing kindness. Um, actually, that word stranger there is. It would be relative to our homeless or to our uh, person that's disadvantaged. Uh, it's it's not, uh, it, and there's a distinction in the Old Testament about someone who's in your land and and illegally. Because here's what we don't know: when someone's in the in the country illegally, we don't know if that's uh, you know uh, an honest. Uh, desire to be in America, or is that to cause us harm? So we have to answer that question. The only way you answer that question is have a border, have a fence, have a way to process them. And your point about people from other countries, we deal a lot with people from India. We have a large uh, Indian um, population that uses one of our church facilities uh, for some activities. And, And I didn't realize this, but in India, the Second to cricket is is volleyball, and and we we have a lot of volleyball leagues that use uh, our uh, activity center, and so I've got to know a lot of those men. It's it's primarily men, and it's probably a hundred, hundred fifty men that use it uh, a week, something like that. And uh, every one of those are legal. Every one of those have done everything right. And and back to your point, I don't think it's fair. Here, here's something I think a lot of times. Um, you've heard liberals and probably some some even Republicans or conservatives mm-hmm. use this scripture uh, where uh, Jesus, you know, they said, well, Jesus, the woman caught in the act of adultery said, you know, uh, you know, I don't condemn you. And, and if, if anybody wants to condemn her that hadn't done wrong, throw a rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they leave out is where he said, don't do that anymore. And so I think that's the balance we have to find. The balance is, um, you know, don't do that anymore, but also, you know, I'm, I'm going to show compassion, show, show kindness. Uh, and then here, I think, is the cornerstone is the Bible also says God is not the author of confusion. And when you have a person from India, from the U.K., that has paid thousands of dollars, waited in line for 10 years, and they have done it right. And then you've got someone, like you said, on a neighboring border or country that comes over illegally. And they're just here free and they're getting everything that, you know, not everything, but they're getting uh, citizenship type uh, treatment. That's confusion. And God's not the author of confusion. And so I, I, I don't think it's it's easily uh, communicated. Uh, and I think it is finding balance. To your question about what do you do for people that have been victims of of someone maybe here illegally, I I think unequivocally, if someone has committed a felony, especially a violent felony, uh, I think that probably deportation is uh, what needs to happen for them. Uh, And I've known people that were here illegally that changed their life. And uh, but they 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 have a violent felony, and uh, and they were deported, and some of them stayed. But I think 
you know, I think each one of these are very individual, and we it's really hard to, to paint it uh, broad base uh, for each individual situation. It, well, it is. And then uh, I have to say, um, there's so, and I, I just want to throw this out there because I have talked about this a little bit on radio before. And um, I, I know that, well, it, it kind of sounds controversial until you think about it for a little bit, but I never hear any politicians mentioning it. I never hear anybody else really talking about it. And that is that, um, there, so there have been these stories in the Wall Street Journal and, and these major news publications where they'll send a reporter down to Mexico and it's, they send them to a town that has a lot of people who have been deported from the United States in the town. And they interview the people there. And I read one of these articles a few years ago where the person, the reporter was interviewing people and the people who were there were saying, you know, I'm used to things in America. Um, you know, I, I'm used to going to a government agency and paying, you know, if it's $22 to renew my, my tag or my license, I pay that, I renew it, I leave. Here in this country, I go in, the fee says this many you know, whatever the the thing is, pesos or what have you. But what I have to do is I have to pay that. And then I have to give the person who's helping me like a bribe in order to get them to do their job. And I'm not used to that. Or I just call the police here in Mexico and they did not respond. I kind of have to have my own protection here, whether it's people I'm paying or if I hook up with a cartel or, or, you know, in our neighborhood, we have to have our own protection because the police don't really respond the way they do in the United States. And then other people that, that the reporter talked to were saying, well, I'm, I'm only here until I can figure a way to get back into the United States. So they may have deported me, but every time they deport me, I'm going back. I've been deported 13 times, something like that. Um, wow. And so when I, when I was reading that, it occurred to me that one thing that happens when people come to America, and it's a part of the great assimilation that happens here, even though one half of America, or I should say one political party, the liberals don't believe in assimilation. The fact is... Being in America, breathing our air, shopping in our grocery stores, buying your gas here, you do assimilate to this country. You become used to the norms here. Even if you're a person who's here tearing those norms down, you still become used to our norms. So when you're deported and you go back to your country, you expect something that you just had. So my question is, and it's for liberals and conservatives and everyone, we have so many people here now who are enjoying the norms, but they're breaking our laws and deporting them seems to be such a sensitive subject. Like we can't, we can't send them back. But the fact is masses of people who have become used to our norms back in their home countries would change those countries for the better. And it's the same as what happened when we took our factories, our auto factories and put them in Mexico. The first thing that happened is fewer Mexicans started coming to America and they started working in the factories in Mexico and it improved Mexico's GDP. And the places where we have factories are better places to live than parts of Mexico where we don't. So the idea here for me is as a Christian, I don't just want to bring 42 million people from South America to our country. We should be trying to improve their country instead of nation building in the Middle East, nation building south of us, because those are our, our literal neighbors. We live on the same continent. We are in the same hemisphere. We have an interest in how they live. And the Northern Triangle countries only send people here because they're infested with gangs and corruption, and there's no one there creating jobs. So p sending people back to their home countries with these new norms means those countries are improved. And then we partner with that to go down and bring some of our norms to those countries. And we, we don't have anybody having those conversations or even, I mean, I, I've been looking, who's thinking that way about how we could, in, instead of just sealing the border up or opening it up, 
Why don't we improve the places they're coming from so they don't feel like they need to come here? That's probably one of the smartest foreign policy uh, viewpoints I've I've ever heard. That that is that is uh, especially our neighboring countries. He, here's something I think a lot of times uh, we fail to see, and I, I saw this in the uh, even in the Arkansas state uh, legislature, um, and then you see it on a on a national scale. Is don't forget. Uh, here's the thing about legislation and about po- policy. Is a, a I would say, um, you know, the the, uh, the Washington the, the Washington uh, establishment, uh, Democrat and Republican, hardly ever agree on on very much. But one thing they do agree on is wanting more cheap labor, and the reason they want more cheap labor is because of the Chamber of Commerce and big business, and uh, and so. You, I found that when I was here, a lot of times we would get this enormous pressure on like uh, uh, state uh, funded or, or not state funded, but federally funded uh, uh, Medicaid. And, uh, and and I'm like, where's all this pressure coming from? Well, obviously it was coming from the, you know, uh, AARP because they got a billion dollars or two billion dollars. Uh, but then we're getting it from the Chamber of Commerce. And I'm like, where's this coming from? And you start following the money. Well, follow the money with immigration, and it goes back to these massively, you know, these these billionaires that own massive amounts of land and need massive amounts of employees. You trace it back to a lot of this. Um, it's 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 all about cheap labor, and and uh, but yet, you know, it's, this is very nuanced because you look at it when you move a factory. To Mexico, you improve Mexico, and we we should be doing that. And I think we can do both. But when you take it from Michigan, uh, or you take it from you know Ohio and put it in Mexico, you you harm that community. Mm-hmm. And I think, as as you said, instead of spill, spending trillions of dollars, not billions, but trillions in the Middle East, we could be doing you know a lot more of this, and not to the hurt of our Midwest or whomever it may be, um, and and yet do work there and probably have less problems at our border because we're making, to your point, making those countries uh, more desirable. Uh, and that assimilation is, I think, a whole uh, whole conversation in and of itself. You know, something that we're doing right now, and it's, uh, I think it became more organic. I don't think it was as uh, you know, some smartly uh, devised thing that we came up with. But I got to thinking about how, you know, I take a stand against illegal immigration and about people need to assimilate into our country. And then we have mutually, I mean, exclusive Spanish-speaking, uh, two exclusively Spanish-speaking services. Uh, actually, yes, uh, three each week. Mm. And I got thinking, you know, we're really not doing those Spanish-speaking people justice, and we're uh, by not uh, teaching them uh, to to speak English and to fully assimilate. And I, I'm a hardliner on if you if you're Spanish-speaking, don't teach your children both languages. I think that's just from a cultural standpoint and from just a for a future uh, and for for marketability, you know be bilingual or trilingual, but, um, 
but when we hold just exclusively Spanish-speaking services, we're really saying we, we take a hard-line approach or a conservative approach, rather, uh, yet we're having this you know, exclusively Spanish-speaking service. Uh, we, we need to be bilingual in those services. So we've actually started that, and that wasn't something that I implemented. That was actually our Spanish pastor that came up with that on his own. And uh, and so he started started doing bilingual services, at least in one of our congregations, and we're going to spread that to the other one, you know, in the future. But this assimilation, um, you know, is, is so important. It, it, and I think the assimilation is almost like a microcosm uh, or a, mac- yeah, a micro of the macro. And that is it, the assimilation is another component that has to be addressed uh, in the Christian community and then just in communities in general. Yeah. And, and, you know, Pastor, the the point that you're making, so when your primary concern was to get them an opportunity to have a, a church service, have a church where they would feel comfortable, where they could come in. But you're right, moving them into receiving the information in English, uh, you know, it, it helps them. It's actually a benefit to them because then they're able to communicate with people outside of their community and it makes them more marketable. It means that they can go for jobs where English, you know, speaking English is something they absolutely have to be able to do and to do it well, not just to have, you know, a bare minimum uh, ability to be able to communicate to, you know, order food or, or, you know, shop or things like that. Um, Being able to fully interface with the culture is something that every person who comes to America, I mean, I always assume they want that. They want to be a part of the yellow school buses and the, you know, 30 ounce big gulps and, all the stuff that makes America <laughs> this weird, fantastic place that it is. But if you come here and you only speak Spanish or if you go into a community where you only speak, you know, uh, Farsi or, or, or something, um, you know, uh, from that part of the world, you can't you can't really experience America because the whole part of our our being here in this country is English language. And it is one of the most difficult languages to learn because we have idioms and Things that other languages like Spanish doesn't have those things, um, and we don't have yeah, to male and female. I'm still learning English. She's you know what? <laughs> we all are. We all are. That's the thing about English. You can keep learning it your whole life. <laughs> um, we were we played a game on TV the other day on Newsmax, and one of the questions was, "What's the longest word in the English language?" And I was pretty sure that I knew it was a word that was 27 letters long. It turns out, since I last looked that up. It's not. It's, I think, 47 letters long. And it's wow. it's a scientific word, <laughs> which is basically a bunch of words that you know strung together with other little letters, and it's one word. But th- that that's something – that means I can't know everything about the longest word because the soonest I learn what it is, then there's a new one. Um, so, yeah, we're all doing that. See, and I thought it was Mary Poppins' word all along. So, uh, oh, I know. Yeah, see, that's a long one. I was. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, but again, that's a part of becoming an American. And so I, I know that it's possibly impossible to have a situation where everyone who's here illegally would be deported. But I also know that it is, uh, you know, a complete, it's the destruction of the rule of law if we don't say that people who come to this country illegally cannot vote. They can't, you know, you can't, you can't actually have it both ways. We have to have some kind of dividing line between people who take the time to come here lawfully and those who don't, even if those who don't are still allowed to stay here. 
And I think that you and I have gone a long way in starting that conversation here today on the podcast. And I'm, I always am so uh, grateful for Demetrius and his connections that he's able to bring to the podcast. And then he's a great guy. Isn't he? he is just wonderful. I feel so blessed to have him as a member of my extended family by way of us working together for all these years and basically adopting each other. Um, and his you beautiful an awesome wife. Job. And, and well, and you have some you. awesome listeners, by the way. When I was on your show last time, your radio show, I got a, just the sweetest letter from Joanne and uh and it was just so kind and so sweet. I just I want to thank you for the opportunity. Well, I we're just glad to have you. I tell you what, I have some pretty mean people who email me occasionally. They're they're like a blip. But for the most part, I get the nicest emails from people who listen to the podcast and the radio show and they're just so interested in the guests that we bring on. And so whenever I can find someone who can articulate an issue from a godly perspective and help us figure out how to think about things. It's invaluable. I think it's kingdom work when we train our minds on what God wants and try to tackle an issue dealing with people and try to figure out a way to do it in a way that would honor God, but still honors the law. That's tough work. And if we can do it, I believe he'll bless us. And so um, thank you so much. I, I just, I, I I know that every time you come on, it's going to be awesome. So this was great. Thank you so much. Hey, I enjoyed it so much. And you're just, you're such a pleasure to visit with. You're very, very, uh, one of the smartest uh, people I've I've uh, had the pleasure of visiting with, and you do a wonderful job. And I'm not just saying that. I really, really appreciate you, and thank you so much for what you do. Oh, that's high praise. I'll take it today on a Tuesday. I need it. Um, and so you have a great day and, and a great week, Pastor. Thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks a lot, Stacey. Take care now. All right, I want to give you one more thing before we close up the podcast today, and that is if you're looking for an affordable health care option, listen, we have the Alliance for Shared Health. They're our sponsor here on the podcast and on SiriusXM. And so that kind of relationship means that I know the people who run this company. I know the people who work there. I have an account with them, and I'm able to access health sharing through them because of the work that they're doing. And I also feel so excited when I know that uh, $1 per month per household is going to the villages in East Africa, where they're saving the lives of children who are literally starving. So if you want another option, something that can save you up to 70%, possibly even 80%, If you want to join a health sharing ministry with over 40,000 households participating, um, you have got to check out the Alliance for Shared Health. You're going to get needs sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental, and vision. You can access the virtual care provider at zero cost. You can pick up your prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card. You can order lab and imaging tests at discounts of up to 80%. So open enrollment is now. Don't miss out on the chance to save that up to 70% on your monthly premiums and make a difference in the lives of others who share your values. Reach out to Ash today. Head over to StaceyOnTheRight.com, click the banner ad, and then you can sign up. That's StaceyOnTheRight.com. Click the banner ad and start sharing and saving today. Alliance for Shared Health. Changing healthcare, changing lives.